1: Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippi, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, a bombshell in the House investigation of January 6th. Shocking but surprising? I don't think so. To talk about it, we welcome Hunter Walker, author of the newsletter, The Uprising, and his work has been featured in Rolling Stone, The Atlantic, The New Yorker, elsewhere. And his article, it's, uh, the, the headline of this, I uh, just want to read it to you, January 6th, protest organizers say... They participated in dozens of planning meetings with members of Congress and White House staff. This has obviously been explosive, getting a lot of attention. And I think the allegations of members of Congress and White House staff being involved in January 6th planning, I think we all thought that was true. But this is a significant uh, article, I think, a piece of uh, real uh, journalism that uh, is making it clear there's more more here than, than than we know. So, Hunter, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. Listen, I mean, for those who haven't read it, and by, by the way, we'll put a link to the article in our show notes, but for those who, who, who have not read it yet, could you, you walk us through what we know, uh, mm-hmm. given your reporting on this?
0: So, a key fact that I learned is that Two people who were involved in the planning of, you know, what I'm broadly terming January 6th protests, and that includes the demonstrations designed to challenge the election that took place in the lead up to that day around the country, as well as the main uh, rally on the ellipse. Uh, that featured President Trump himself Uh, and two people who helped organize these things are now in communication with the House uh, January 6th Select Committee. And they are detailing some pretty explosive allegations that they also shared with me uh, in a series of extensive conversations over the past few weeks. Um, And mainly uh, the part I found most um, Newsworthy is they claim to have been involved in dozens of these quote unquote briefings with members of Congress. And These briefings were essentially designed to strategize where to hold demonstrations around the country, to put pressure on what they described as, quote unquote, persuadable senators. Uh, They also were trading, quote unquote, evidence back and forth uh, with members of Congress soliciting and sharing uh, what they saw as proof of alleged election fraud. Um, Obviously, a slew of experts and state officials and federal officials, including Trump appointees, have said there was no Widespread election fraud, but they were they were, you know, looking for their smoking gun. Um, And this took place in the lead up to the major rally at the Ellipse. Also, they said they were in touch with White House White House staff. Uh, mainly, they said the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, you know, weighed in at a couple key points as an interlocutor when members of the different protest groups were kind of fighting with each other. Um, and one main concern was this far right activist, Ali Alexander, who hosted um, a quote unquote stop the Steel" rally on the north steps of the Capitol. And my sources claim that, you know, them and other people were concerned about um. Alexander's protest and the potential for violence with drawing people right to the Capitol. They also said that, you know, they believed him to have militia ties and they were worried about that uh, as a potential for violence. According to multiple sources, these concerns were brought to Mark Meadows and uh, it's not clear what he did about that. But of course, the whole thing is notable because this was a political rally. I mean, Mo Brooks, a congressman who spoke on the ellipse, has previously tried in court to allege it was government work, and it has explicitly been ruled to have been a political event. And Mark Meadows, as White House staff, is not supposed to be involved in that at all. Of course, these Hatch Act violations became a little bit routine in the yep. past couple of years and haven't been enforced, but there's a lot there, basically.
1: Well, let's let's name names. Uh, you know, the, the members of Congress, Paul Gosar, Lauren Bobart, uh, Mo Brooks, of course, uh, Madison Cawthorn, Andy mm-hmm. Biggs, and Louie Gomer. Well, we could have predicted. Right. Yeah. And of course, of course, MTG. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry,
0: yeah. yeah, she's, yeah, MTG, of course. Yeah, my, my source said, quote, I specifically remember Marjorie Teller Green. <laughs> I believe something but, like that.
1: And so these, all these, and their, or their staffs, uh, I understand there's a, a difference there, but according to your mm-hmm. sources, involved in dozens of meetings, to plan this thing or involved in, 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 in planning it, by the way, I mean, the one question I had, were were any of those meetings, tours of the Capitol or anything? I mean, did you get any understanding of it included some of the, the tours that happened the days before sort of letting people in on what offices were where and things like that, or, or did you not get that far?
0: So in terms of, um, You know, the meetings and the members of Congress, you're absolutely right that, you know, the sources who talked to me about this said it was members of Congress and their staff. And as you pointed out earlier, you know, this is not surprising to a degree. You know, I think my story is pointing out the extent of White House involvement. It's pointing out exactly what these members of Congress were engaged in. And also it's showing that there are, you know, cooperating witnesses starting to come forward, which is, I think, quite notable as the investigation heats up. But there were already extensive indications that these members of Congress were, you know, supportive of and participating in these events. Me- multiple uh, of the members that you listed there were billed as speakers that day. Uh, Madison Cawthorn and Mo Brooks, yeah. who, according to Slate, was wearing body armor, uh, both spoke with Trump at the Ellipse. Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Paul We're all build speakers at this quote unquote wild protest. And these people participated in the effort to overturn the election on the House floor and at these other events around the country. So, you know, in a way, we already knew that they had some level of communication with the organizers. My story essentially just explains what that was alleged to be from the organizer perspective it also includes an allegation that gosar went a step further than everybody else and dangled this quote unquote blanket pardon in an unrelated ongoing investigation in an effort to encourage these organizers to hold these events and stay involved
2: so just so just so I'm clear gosar with a pardon so he he essentially allegedly, was working with the White House on this? Because last time I checked, Gosar couldn't pardon people.
0: (laughs) So, you know, according to uh, both of these sources, Gosar did indeed um, dangle a pardon in front of people and say that, you know, he implied that he was in direct communication with the president. And the direct quote, he said, uh, our impre- This is uh, one of the organizers who spoke to me. Our impression was that it was a done deal that he'd spoken to the president about it in the Oval in a meeting about pardons and that our names came up. They were working on submitting the paperwork and getting members of the House Freedom Freedom Caucus to sign on as a show of support. Uh, and they said that um, they received quote several assurances about the quote blanket pardon from Gosar, who said, "I was just going over the list of pardons, and we just wanted to tell you guys how much we appreciate all the hard work you've been doing." So, you know, it was some of this almost mafioso language that we all sort of became familiar with, you know, during the the Michael Cohen trial, where you know there aren't um, necessarily the most direct comments, but you know, certainly the implication from Gosar, according to this source, was that he had. Communicated with Trump in the Oval Office um, and was getting it done,
1: as Michael Cohen said that uh, there was code, and everybody understood what the code was, and that seems to be going on here, particularly uh with Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff, involved in a the political rally and stuff and 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 working with these people when they, that that for sure uh is, is, is under Hatch and I understand what you said about we, we we learned a long time ago they didn't care about that, but uh, it, it, it's clearly a lot of dots here that that got are being connected. Hopefully, the Select Committee will be able to. To, to connect them further. The question I had is, oh, go ahead.
0: Yeah. I, I also just want to note, you know, this isn't just, you know, the allegations from these sources. Um, first off, I independently verified that both of them were involved um, in these events. I also independently obtained documentary evidence that both of them uh, were in contact with both Gosar and bobert on January 6th. So there's a clear connection here. Um, and I spoke to some other people too, including um, Marjorie Taylor Greene's communications director, um, Nick, Dyer. Uh, and he was actually the only one to respond to me ahead of publication. Uh, but he said, quote, Congresswoman Green and her staff were focused on the congressional election objection on the House floor and had nothing to do with the planning of any protest. Right. And, you know, he's essentially admitting that Green and her staff, you know, helped strategize the objections with people. He's disputing that she was part of planning for a protest. As I mentioned earlier, she was listed speaker at one. So I don't know how you pull that off without planning. Uh, Boebert, again, in the same situation, issued sort of a a similar, a similar statement. I think it was Brooks and Cawthorn were saying they didn't participate at all, which I just kind of responded to with pictures of them on stage. Uh, and Gosar has been totally quiet. Um, but it's been interesting to kind of see, you know, confirmation even come, you know, if you will, the call coming from within, inside the House. Uh, and similarly, and a GOP House staffer, you know, told me, a whole host of people let this go a totally different way. Uh, They effed it up for a lot of people who were planning to present evidence on the House floor. We were pissed off at everything that happened. So even my sources and the staffer who kind of dispute that they meant for it to turn violent and blame that on other bad actors, you know, across the board, we're starting to see in this story admission that, you know, there was a broad coordinated strategy involving live protests and the objection on the floor.
1: Right. And of course, they have Reason to try to walk away from? They knew any didn't want to incite riot, violence or anything like that. Uh, what, what? One thing. How does this? Do you think this goes deeper to other members in, in the GOP? I mean, do any? I mean, is it, is it these six or um, were there other? Do you think it goes deeper? They're communicating. Uh, we may never know this, but communicating to other members of the Freedom Caucus or or other people, like you know, the Jim Jordans of the world out there. I, I, I shed any light on that?
0: So, you know, first off, I, I, I uh, also just want to go back to something you mentioned before the question of the tours. Um, I would just say on my end, stay tuned on that front. I do think we will be hearing a lot more about that.
1: You don't want to break any news here on the podcast? <laughs> I, I, mean, just... I am not in position to break any news on <laughs> okay. the podcast, but, but we,
0: we may be working on something. <laughs> okay. What I would also say to you is, you know, it, it clearly does go beyond, um, you know, just what I've detailed in this story. You know. Jim Jordan is an example of someone who spoke at one of these events. Uh, in the lead up to January 6th. As you can see, my sources were suggesting the, the whole Freedom Caucus was involved. Um, and also these members, you know, and I think this is part of why this didn't surprise you, correct me if I'm wrong, are part of a group that, you know, I've kind of termed the January 6th denialists. Um, and these are people who are involved in the quote unquote justice for J6 protests, literally in support of the rioters outside the DC jail. Um, I, I broke the news for Rolling Stone that um, a Senate candidate Arizona um, helped finance the Justice for J6 protest on the White House, uh, on the National Mall, uh, which was attended by multiple GOP congressional candidates. So there's a lot more going on here. Um, And, you know, I think I I was there that day at the Capitol, uh, and I really have been adamant that we are not paying nearly enough attention to this. And it's part of what's made me focus my work on really investigating what happened that day. And, you know, one of the things that's most striking to me is that we have these members of Congress from a party that normally supports law enforcement, you know, denying that anything happened at all. And every time that happens, I've found that Gosar, frankly, takes it a step further than everyone else. So like you had these hearings this summer when they were calling it a quote unquote normal tourist visit. Uh, And he then was like. Actually, it was an FBI conspiracy theory and Ashley Babbitt was a martyr. The woman shot outside the Senate chamber. I mean, he he introduced that, you know, idea of, you know, Ashley Babbitt's martyrdom into kind of the GOP lexicon. Um, So there's clearly a lot happening here. And a point that I really think is important for people to recognize is that there was a political financial infrastructure behind this attempt to overthrow the election
2: so hunter what's your what's your sense about and maybe this is going a little a little too broad but obviously trump came out last week and said if you're not going to make the big lie like the central issue of the elections don't come out and vote to republicans which is insane but how what's your sense obviously damaging to republican hopes next year What's your sense within the party, within the Freedom Caucus, that there's like a renewed focus on relitigating this stuff and keeping it front and center versus just trying to bury it and move on?
0: Well, it's interesting we see so much of this push happen from members of Congress and not senators. Right. Um, And you'll note, my sources told me that literally some of the protests were designed to push senators to come on board because they needed at least one um, for, you know, an official objection uh, to the electoral certification. They ultimately got only a handful of senators and over 100 House members. And to me, that's just a vivid illustration of the fact that, you know. Election denialism and, and election conspiracy theories are good for the red meat of the right. base in the tightest districts. But it's not necessarily something popular statewide or on the national level. But I think we cannot ignore this because uh, the president, you know, along with, you know, uh, his campaign work, uh, is essentially pushing the. Um, the election of people, including at the hyper-local level, who support his agenda. Uh, we're seeing it on school boards, but we're also seeing it with election infrastructure. And you know, if people who are not interested in election realities are involved in election administration, that could get very scary very fast.
2: You mentioned, I think, on Roland Martin's show, was it yesterday, the day before, that it, it th- mm-hmm. this, this could night. have been so much worse, right? And I know you' you're talking about the the kind of future implications, but on January 6th, this thing could have gotten really out of out of hand.
0: Yeah, I mean, um you know, I was talking to a member uh, of the Capitol Police yesterday, and they were reminding me that um, their officers were still out to this day, you know, nine plus months later, um, with injuries that they sustained at the Capitol. In that hearing in July, where members of the Capitol Police and the DC Metropolitan Police Department spoke up, uh, they talked about engaging in quote unquote, medieval fighting. In my newsletter, The Uprising, I've done my own reporting, um, showing that police records, you know, detail how many guns were seized from the crowd that day. And that's with You know, the vast majority of people not being arrested or searched by police at all. We already know there were guns in the crowd. So, you know, I think if more more shots had broken out that day and I say more because Ashley Babbitt was shot, um, you know, I think we would have seen mass violence, um, both including people uh, trampling, you know, trampling each other in the crowd um, and also. you know, crossfire that could have erupted
1: yeah. and retaliation. Yeah. I mean, shooting back, you yeah, know? I mean, I
0: standing there, it was very easy to see how things could get extremely, extremely violent.
1: Well, that's, you know, when you were talking about Alexander, I think in your piece, you, you talked about how, you know, they, they knew they weren't there to sing Kumbaya or something. I can't remember exactly how you, you put it, but it was, you know, it, you know, it wasn't like they were putting up a peace sign. Uh, that they were, these people were really, really angry, you know, and had been fired up to do something here.
0: As I noted before, Alexander called his event the quote "wild protest." That was based uh-huh. on a tweet from Trump, who encouraged people to go to D.C. Um, and said something along the lines of like, "Let's get wild," right?
1: Yeah, I think he said it's going to be wild, or something. Yeah, it's going like to be that. wild. I think you're <laughs> yeah, correct.
0: Yeah. Um, but they also say that um, Alexander uh, was observed by them with militia members. The quote you're talking about, uh, one of the planners told me they knew that they weren't there to frickin sing Kumbaya. So people were angry, you know, and yeah. um, they were drawn right to the capital. Now, as you alluded to, my sources have obviously substantial self-interest in sort of minimizing their own role. But the right. way they described it to me was essentially that this plan had been worked out you know, for the objections to be made on the House floor with this sort of grand public event to accompany that a series of public events. And where it turned was when President Trump on stage encouraged the crowd to march to the Capitol. According to my sources, that was not supposed to be part of the program. And they were shocked. And, you know, I do think it's worth noting that that, you know, none of these protests around the country were as violent as this one until January 6th. Right. Um, and what's interesting is if you take the word of my sources, that identifies the Alexander Wilde protest as one of the more, you know, dangerous elements of this. And members of Congress were billed to speak there. So members of Congress were involved in what seems to be the most aggressive and reckless element of this whole day.
1: So why, I mean, getting back to the sources, why do you why do you I mean was it because they didn't get the pardon didn't happen i mean or, or, or you know why do you think they they can't came forward i mean they they're they're pretty much still pro, pro trump correct uh, in my reading of the story
0: they absolutely specified that they you know still believe in um what they see as the quote unquote america first agenda um but they also talked to me about feeling angry and feeling abandoned by trump um You know, and I think it's part of that is their view that he's the one who turned the rally violent, you know, or or that he really encouraged that. And then no one involved got legal protections. He's being relatively quiet other than these emailed statements and trying to influence races. And I think, you know, they're clearly feeling pressure uh, on the legal front. Um, And, you know, there's not much he or his allies can do about that for the time being.
1: But they I mean so they, they so they see Trump as a bad actor in this or or I mean that's what I mean, is, I'm just right. trying to get a sense of the, the agenda versus the you know what he his actions that day.
0: I mean specifically they, you know they obviously are Trump supporters specifically you know what they saw as a problem that day and I'm, I'm again just grabbing this specific thing was that moment where he told the crowd um to go to the Capitol and You know what what they basically said is that that was. Yeah. Yeah. Here here it is. Uh, The organizer told me, quote, the breaking point for me was when Trump starts talking about walking to the Capitol. I was like, let's get the F out of here. So. You know, uh, according to what what they said, and, uh, you know, uh, this is sort of a an account that was basically echoed by Marjorie Taylor Greene's office on record. There was planning for events. There was planning to object, you know, to the results. And by the way, Greene's office pointed something out that I think is worth mentioning. Democrats, House Democrats, some did object to Trump in 2017. So sort of among these people, I think there was a view that they were engaging in, you know, what Trump and his allies often have which is kind of a hyped up version of normal political gamesmanship right in their view and again you know i think we we both must be careful in acknowledging the self interest here i mean i've i've granted these sources anonymity because you know they are talking to government investigators you know who are looking into a violent crime but i think it's important to be clear that you know they certainly have interest in putting their own spin on things right but you know that has been echoed elsewhere, that there was this clear political planning uh, and it somehow turned violent. And I think that's the point that investigators really need to dial in on. You know, where was this beyond what we would see for a normal protest? So, you know, who brought in militia elements, who ignored concerns from organizers, if there were any? And then also this question of, you know, the, the pardon offer that to me would seem right. clearly inappropriate.
1: And who paid for it all? Or, you know, who who financed it? So
0: my understanding is that um, prior to these witnesses, the committee's investigation was largely focused on the financing. And we do know some elements of that already. Um, Amy Kramer's group, Women for America First, you know, uh, Mike Lindell. Uh, is someone who's been named as being involved to some degree. You know, we also know of these people who sort of finance bus trips. I think that includes Jenny Thomas, uh, the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's wife. Um, So we again, just as with the involvement of members of Congress, some details are already out there. I mean, this thing played out on live TV in front of all of our eyes. The question is, you know, what parts is the House Select Committee really going to incorporate in their investigation? What will they be able to fully confirm, and then most importantly, what is Merrick garland going to do
1: uh, that's the big question that's the million dollar uh, question question I, before we go I want to ask just a couple more with we're uh, you know how deep into the white House staff i mean obviously the Chief of staff Mark Mills, that's pretty incredible uh, but were there other White House staffers involved, do you think or or I mean, does that go deeper, too, like we were talking about with freedom practice, or was it just a few people so, that, like Mark Nose? There were elements of the campaign apparatus involved. Um,
0: so Katrina Pearson, who worked on both of Trump's election campaigns, is someone that my sources described as their, quote, go to girl uh, to liaise with Trump mm-hmm. world. Um, then uh, Caroline Wren, uh, another person who I think. I forget, for, forgive me, people go in and out so much. I forget if she had an administration position or a campaign one, but she was also helping organize the rally. Um, Meadows is obviously notable just because of his stature, you know, and the fact he clearly is a staff member. But it's also important to, you know, analyze and look at what the committee has already shown interest in. So they've made, quote unquote, sweeping uh, records requests to a slew of executive branch agents. And keep in mind, the Biden administration controls those records now, even though they are directly from the Trump White House and Pentagon. They also made requests to telecom companies, social media companies, ranging from major things like, you know, AT&T to uh, much more obscure stuff like 8chan and and some reddit forums and the donald.win um so a they're going to be in a position to substantiate a lot of stuff but b when they look at the when we look at the names of individuals whose executive branch communications they were interested in it's clear that you know the committee is investigating things going beyond um, even just these rallies including like the installation of Kashyap Patel Um, you know, a a Trump loyalist in the national security apparatus in the days after the election. Um, They're trying to talk to Jeffrey Clark from the um, Justice Department, uh, who I think was sort of involved in, you know, these pressure attempts to overturn the election. So yes, it is very clear that, you know, uh, the investigation is looking into multiple aspects of this. um, And it goes well beyond, you know, just a few members of Congress and just a few staffers. The main question is going to be, if the House investigation makes any criminal referrals um, to the Justice Department, does the DOJ take that up? And also at the moment, the FBI investigation, which is the largest in the Bureau's history, is essentially operating the opposite way that the House Select Committee is. Um, and I've talked to sources familiar with that investigation, and they say it's basically a traditional criminal investigation approach where they Treating uh, you know this as a pyramid, and they're starting from the bottom and working their way up. Right, way up. It yeah. remains to be seen, and the bottom in this case is the people who were physically in the capital. Um, it remains to be seen how long it takes. Uh, the FBI to to move, and also how high up they're willing to go. The committee has essentially taken the opposite approach, and they're focused on the highest level organization of this. We can see that through the subpoenas and records requests, you know, but but they don't have criminal authority. They can only refer right. things over to the DOJ.
1: So that was going to be my, I, I don't know, maybe that's the answer to my question. I was to say, well, where do you think this goes next? Uh, uh, but it, it 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 does seem like you've got the top down coming from the top, Select committee and and the FBI doing just a traditional, let's grab the three or four or 500 people, interview them, charge them, see if we can find out who the next level is and keep going up that way. And like you said, do they continue to go up or is that it? You know,
0: we, you know, we'll see. How much the committee is interested in focusing on this, and importantly, how much of you know what these witnesses and potentially others uh, may tell them can be substantiated. But you know, we did see yesterday in a uh, Senate oversight hearing with the Judiciary Committee, um, Alex Padilla, the senator from California, asked Merrick Garland to essentially do quote review and consideration of the Rolling Stone article and uh, the allegations in there. So you know, I think. That is basically the next question. And and frankly, you know, I I, the article came out, I guess, four or five days ago in the time since I have not yet gotten to a place where I can confirm how much uh, the committee is going to focus on, you know, alleged involvement from members of Congress. I mean, I think, you know, their colleagues, essentially, and and. The political aspect of this has always been a bit of a third rail, um, because it's a lot easier to arrest a guy, you know, who has no connections and can't, you know, and, and whose argument that it's a witch hunt doesn't have the bully pulpit of Congress or the Trump email list. It's a lot easier to go after that person than it is to kind of litigate the fact we have this authoritarian strain inside our government right now.
1: Do you think that? I mean, so the other side of that, though, is people like you. Uh, in other words. Are, are, and and these these people are volunteering now and co- coming out and, you know, and stepping up and talking to you sources. You know, when we talk about uh, what the select committee is doing and what uh, and what the FBI is doing, clearly, you're, you know, uh, uh, as you said, Padilla uh, cited the Rolling Stone, your Rolling Stone piece. It, you know are do you get a sense that more sources coming forward i mean that they're the 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 more report investigative reporting starts pushing other things out to the public that that could really um you know impact merrick garland or or any of the, any of this it, like like this story did? You know,
0: one I, I, the one thing I've learned covering politics, especially through the Trump era, is that I, I am loath to try to predict what anyone else is going to do. I can assure you that I, you know, absolutely plan to stick with this story and detail as much as I can of what happened uh, publicly. Uh, you know, show the public what happened that day. Uh, but you know, I have to say one thing that's really struck me in the past couple months is just how little we've paid attention to this. I mean, I stood there watching it, but I, I feel like we all did on television, the historical analogs for the ransacking of a capital, for attempts to overturn the election, particularly, you know, when they're organized and they involve members of the power structure, they're all very, very, very dark. And despite the fact that, you know, we essentially Saw the peaceful of trans the peaceful transfer of power break for the first time in our country's history. We saw the very heart of our democracy, you know, literally vandalized. We saw hundreds of police officers attacked. Um, you know, there hasn't been, I don't believe, a normal public or governmental reaction to this. I mean, what is what is the ribbon for January sixth? You know, what was the hashtag? Do we say Capital Strong? How did how did people honor Uh, the Capitol police. And in fact, you know, in the case of some of these House Republicans, they specifically voted against um, giving a medal to one of the Capitol police officers who was particularly heroic that day. So, you know, I don't know how the DOJ is going to react. I don't know how the public is going to react. I do get the sense that this committee is being fairly aggressive because I think one thing, you know, people don't necessarily realize um, is how personally traumatized members of Congress and their staff uh, were that day and how angry they are about it. And by the way, that's a sentiment I also hear from my fellow journalists who were there that day and also from the Capitol Police. I mean, there is a lot of, I think, sharp awareness of how serious this was and a desire to really deal with it um, coming from this committee.
1: Well, I think that's a good place to end. And I hope people do start paying more attention to this. Certainly we're, we've been trying to to do that on the podcast. And I think your story uh, uh, really uh, emphasized the need, the need to do that. Uh, you know, thanks, Hunter, for coming on. And thanks, everybody, for listening to that trippy show. You can find Hunter's work at the uprising.info. We'll include a link and we'll also link to his Rolling Stone article in the show notes. And you can follow him on Twitter at Hunterw. Don't forget, please subscribe to that Trippy show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. And please do share this episode with a friend. We need to get uh, get this out there, uh, get more people focused on it. Uh, this is really important uh, moment in our uh, in the fight to the pro-democracy coalition to, to work against all this stuff. Uh, you can always send us a question to that Trippy show at gmail.com. Or leave us a question in the review notes on iTunes. Uh, (laughs) See you next time. And Hunter, thanks a lot.
0: No worries. Thanks so much for having me, man.
1: Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.